Hey everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality channel. I'm Hitzer. I'm Isa. Uh, this week, we'll be talking about some of our favorite narrative fictional podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not podcasts where just, you know, two people sit around and gabber. <laughs> much like this <laughs> uh, one, yes. <laughs> much like this one, exactly. Um, no, we'll, we'll talk about podcasts which has much better production values, mm-hmm. storylines, mm-hmm. actors, things of that sort. Um, a bit of a return to old school radio audio dramas. Oh yeah, uh, it's coming back in the podcast realm now. Um, and primarily, we want to focus on a local production called The Mercenario and the Palawan. Um, we have with us a special guest, the creator, actor, star, writer <laughs> of uh, The Mercenario and the Palawan, uh, Lian Sutton, with us. Uh, say hello, Lian. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Uh, we're doing well, man. Um, I just listened to your podcast a couple of days ago, or the audio drama, should I say? Um, thoroughly enthralled. I binged it in one go. Wow. Um, <laughs> I did. I did. I just, you know, the the cliffhangers, especially during Act Two, were quite addictive. So I just delved right into it. Uh, but we won't give away spoilers just yet. We'll yeah. ask some minor spoilery questions towards the second half of our interview with Lian here. Uh, but up until then, you know, um. Lian, uh, tell us a little bit about what the Mercenario and the Palawan is all about. Uh, well, essentially, it's about two um, warriors of uh, opposing sides, um, and they come together in this amazing port city of Malacca in the early 16th century. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one of the western side, so a Portuguese uh, mercenary, and a local Palawan, a local warrior. And they kind of... Yeah. Um, form this bond uh, through dueling each other, essentially, or testing skills, as they uh, call it in in the actual play itself. And, and of course, amidst the political backdrop and everything that's going on and the uh, impending doom of of the city itself, which we know from our history books, or not, uh, depending on your your interest in it or whether or not it's taught in your history books. But yeah, so that's essentially it. Yeah, this is a very different kind of historical epic that I've never seen before, set in a setting that I've never seen or heard from before. Yeah. Um, Isa was you know, involved somewhat in the behind-the-scenes process of this. Uh, so do you have any questions, Isa, for Liam? Yeah, uh, we did cover a fair bit in kind of um, behind, the, uh, behind the Blade. Behind the Blade. Beyond the Blade. Sort. Beyond the Blade, yes. Oh, God, I, I can't even remember. Uh, where we sat down and chat with Lian. Uh, I, I sat down and chat with Lian and uh, together with uh, Jamil Schultz and uh, Faris Najid, who are the uh, actors who play the titular characters of the audio play. Uh, so go and check that out. If you guys are keen, you can get like kind of free. Um, you get that free with the swag that you get on the Patreon page. Uh, please go check that out. We'll have all the socials and the links linked in our description below if you're on YouTube or you're listening on Mixcloud. Uh, but just so you know, um, people who haven't gotten any of that, right, Lian? Tell us a bit about mm. kind of like the the genesis of this, the uh, beginning inspiration for this. Was it like a thought? Was it a moment? Was it a piece of material that you came across that kind of got you on the journey to writing the Mercenario and the Power One? Right. Yeah, I was um, I was really inspired by uh, a Joseph Conrad novella called The Duel. 
uh, or its kind of more popular counterpart, which was a Ridley Scott film in the late 70s called The Duelists. Um, mm. And essentially it was about uh, two uh, soldiers of the, the, the Napoleon, uh, Napoleon uh, army and, uh, and through some sort of disagreement, can't remember what, not even sure if that was really important, um, but they start to duel each other. They challenge each other to a duel and subsequently every time they met, uh, they would duel each other uh, with different mm. weapons, different settings, different rules, etc. And I thought that was really a great kind of... Uh, uh, premise to explore some of the the dueling and the the martial arts and stuff that we have from this region i mm. I, I grew up doing uh, a host of traditional southeast asian martial arts and both my parents teach for a living so it was inevitable um and <laughs> i've always wanted to find a way to to put these stories right these philosophies and sayings and uh, um uh, all of the concepts into into something in, into a cohesive story that we could share with people on stage or you know in their ears or somehow <laughs> through their senses um, to take it in because it's a very niche kind of knowledge and um, that's part of what Nusantara Theatrical Combat once uh, is striving to do as as a entertainment company and uh, mm-hmm. and. So I thought, okay, I need a premise. I, I want to showcase as many of these weapons as possible. And originally I started writing it uh, as a sort of adaptation and it became so loose, I can barely call it uh, an ad- <laughs> adaptation anymore. It was just literally like the only thing that has stayed is that there, there are duels. <laughs> That's it. Um, they're not even really enemies. They're kind of, they become friends. So yeah, um, yeah. so that was kind of the, the, the beginnings. It started as a, a theater play and then of course realizing that this pandemic was going to go on a fair bit longer than we all have hoped uh, had mm. hoped so yes. uh, then i thought okay what is the next uh, best uh, cheapest and most accessible medium um and uh and i i thought i would turn it into a, a radio play yeah yeah excellent stuff um you started this project just before um, March 2020 when the pandemic hit, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I started writing it uh, during the lockdown. But the kind of inception of the idea came uh, probably three months prior. Um, I got a really, really cushy job for about three months and it paid a lot of money and it gave me a lot of time uh, while I was at the work to be able to read. And so yeah. I, I bought so many research books. I spent <laughs> uh, like like a lot of money on on these books that were historical and that were you know uh, on stage combat on on different uh, aspects of history and uh, of this region to look for uh, a a time and a place essentially to set this. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, early sixteenth century Malacca. It's actually sixteenth century. 18th century Malacca. Um, once the Portuguese come, uh, there's a lot of stuff written uh, about it. There's local accounts, obviously, from the the Sajara Malayu, the Malay Annals. There's um, there are Chinese accounts um, because we had uh, sailors, explorers, we had tradesmen um, from from the north. Um, there, uh, obviously, the Portuguese wrote a lot about it, um, and. And th- there was just a lot of information that I could pull from that I could read between and go like, okay, what is true? What isn't? What? Who was here? Who wasn't there? All this kind of thing and kind of uh, compile this uh, story uh, together. As we know, yeah. a lot of this region's history is uh, oral by nature. So it not not many things have been written down. A lot of things have been passed on through 
uh, songs or, or stories that were passed down verbally. So, mm -hmm. um, so to have all of that information, including the written stuff, um, really, uh, I really gave me a lot of inspiration to go, okay, I've got enough research here that I can't be, you know, that I'm not bogged down by the fact that I, <laughs> you know, have to come up with this uh, from, from thin air, because this is essentially my first time um, writing something uh, of this length. Um, and actually producing it to its uh, extent. So I'm quite proud of it, I have to say. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's kind of mind-blowing, right? Like, we've been friends for a while. Uh, and, yeah. and I know I'm, I'm familiar with the work that you've done in theater and all of that. So to kind of, like, jump in this, when you you sold this idea to Hidza and I, um, kind of, like, in the midst of it, I think, like, kind of after the first round of lockdowns was down, we we kind of met up and hang uh, hung out after... Uh, we did the recording for um, Chris's uh, Asian Nightmares episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were just telling us about that. Like, can you speak to maybe like what that process felt like for you, like in isolation, kind of like in lockdown, you know, with all your books and like you're trying to immerse yourself in this world where you had these two characters um, and and trying mm. to bring them to life. Man, it's just like, I mean, it's impossible to to avoid talking about the the kind of like. Uh, <laughs> mental and spiritual stuff you're going through at the time of, of the lockdown, right? So really, yeah. I, I can kind of credit this play as being something that kind of brought me out of the darkness a lot because it mm -hmm. gave me a focus. Like, not, I mean, I, I think I can safely speak for everyone here. You know, we, we didn't have a lot of things going on, <laughs> you know, socially <laughs> or financially or anything. And I just, I needed something other than exercising <laughs> to to focus um um to focus kind of like feel like i'm actually doing something with my craft so so yeah i it was it was weird because i i kind of put a lot of uh, pressure on myself to 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 stick at this because i knew that if i didn't i would mm -hmm. go crazy essentially <laughs> um so in 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 essence i'm a bit worried now because now that things are opening up finally i'm like Oh God, when am I ever going to write again? You know, like, will I, will I have the time now that things are happening and, you know, all the discipline really. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, these two characters almost spoke to, to kind of my psyche at the time as well. Um, yeah. Uh, the, 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 it's always a, um, I mean, without having too many spoilers, the, the essential thing is that they are one, one kind of comes from uh, uh kind of a loyal, um, tradition-driven uh, culture, and the mm -hmm. other from a more sort of um, s similar thing. Same, at the time, they would have all been come from that traditional, um, but the way I wrote it, the Western side is obviously a little bit more modern and a little bit more like focused on the individual and who they are and, and that kind of thing, rather than, uh, you know, driving in the whole tradition and cultural stuff and the... Those kind of things, and those are very part, very much part of my own psyche as well. Like um, I have a lot of traditions in the martial arts that I practice, uh, mm -hmm. and I have to kind of figure out when I break away from those traditions to serve the art, or better yet, to serve um, uh, the, the 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 masses, essentially the people. Um, because keeping the doors closed, or as we mentioned in the play, building the walls too high, um, mm -hmm. you know, lead lead them to have uh, uh, rock, uh, rocky foundations essentially and those walls will tumble so so yeah so I mean I 
I think un unknowingly now retrospectively looking at it, there was a lot of um, conversations I was having with myself essentially through these two characters. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, okay. I have a question that's kind of a personal one that I didn't get to ask uh, when we did the, the, the BTS interview. Ooh, um, how, how much do you feel like your personal upbringing, right? Uh, and being kind of like steeped in the martial arts, right? Came out through the writing of this uh, audio play? Oh, man. I mean, it's it's pretty much all of it. I think if I, <laughs> if I didn't have that, I don't, wouldn't have this story, essentially. Yeah. Because there were a lot of things inside that that I included that were from actual stories I had heard about the martial practices or stories about other warriors that I've put inside um, and other things that I've heard that I've subverted. Um, obviously, the whole hang tua story um, yeah. which serves as such a big uh kind of world right in in yeah. in the nusantara and it's like such a big story and to flip that on its head to go like yeah maybe 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 they weren't so great mm. uh, and mm. uh, in the perspective of this character um <clears throat> I've yet to receive death threats from Malacca, but um, <laughs> I'm deathly afraid I will. Um, but yes, so so it's, I mean, like, it's it's all peppered inside there. And and what I'm excited about is uh, for, for other people to, to either, if they know it, recognize it, or if they don't, actually wonder where, where, where these little things come from. Um, mm -hmm. the, the whole... Um, the whole kind of mercenario questioning the the Palawan on their practices and what they do there and the, the, their beliefs are questions that I had growing up practicing these arts and going like questioning why do we have this why do we have that um, mm -hmm. and and alternatively um, the the Palawan sharing these these kind of cultural values and why they are important why the rules why no rules uh, why loyalty why these things all of these things are exactly the same when I start to teach my my art to other people uh, who mm -hmm. have never encountered it before so yeah it, it it's all intertwined in there um, and I I assure you, as much as I tried to put in, there are a hell of a lot more that, <laughs> that I had to ultimately <laughs> cut. Um, but I really wanted to be part of, of this world and, and probably will in the future. No, definitely will in the future. So, yeah. Oh, okay. So we've got like verbal kind of like promise <laughs> coming up from Lian here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, let's let's dive into a bit of like the content bit here, and then maybe we'll jump back into more like the inspiration stuff later. His, do you have anything like kind of like just going through, you know, um, the the entire audio play uh, for the first time? Anything you want to ask Lian about? Yeah, um, it would have been easy for this audio play to be about the frenemyship. I guess, between the Masnaru and the Palawan, yeah. you know, it, it could have been easily like this two-hander over the few episodes, and that in itself would have been interesting, but you weaved in so much historical detail, political intrigue, um, court intrigue, um, war, betrayal, etc., etc., you know. Um, how did those story arcs develop from your mind you know it it, it, it I, and I you obviously started with the two protagonists and then how did you decide to weave in all the political context into it yeah 
that's all the research, basically. <laughs> that, oh, was that, that was all, the research. Yeah. Yeah, that was all the research showing up because uh, I've, I mentioned this before in, in Beyond the Blade as well, but it's worth mentioning mm-hmm. here that the only characters that were entirely made up, as in from uh, name to character to behavior, everything is the mercenary and the Palawan. Everybody else yeah. in the in the audio production is has been at least mentioned in name and i think there's only one person that's mentioned in name and i know nothing about and that's irish Pereira, um who's a, mm. a minor character a friend of 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 the the mercenario so so everybody else has been mentioned in history books either the sajara malayu or the or the all the other books that i've i've read the the, uh, the albuquerque's uh, commentaries and etc so so those were not um those were well I, I was just finding essentially where I was going to put these people and whether or not they believe me, I did try to cut as many people as possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but because it started becoming so cinematic in my mind that I felt the need to have this and, and have all that and to explain um, how the very personal uh, beliefs and practices of these people are actually political and how they yeah. affect the decisions of everyone around them or, or not at all, uh, essentially. Um, and I wanted to try my best to give a very balanced account of what was what was essentially going on. I mean, our history books, uh, it, it always sides with the victors, right? Whoever writes the history books yeah. are the ones that are going to come out looking good. And so... Mm-hmm. Coming from Malaysia, then it's obviously going to be the Portuguese are bad, um, and of course, <laughs> any anyone that comes in and colonizes them is essentially bad. But it is an a part of history that uh, all of us colonize or were colonized at some point, um, and and the and there was that, uh, and there was also what was going on in the actual courts as well in Malacca, which is actually clearly mentioned in Malay annals, that it doesn't paint the, mm-hmm. the, the sultan in a very good light. And that also has its mm. reasons, right? Why is it you're going to talk about your leader in a, in a bad way? It's probably because they want the people to, you know, have a bit more control maybe or think for themselves a little bit more. So, so there was a lot of these things that I, I felt it was only right if I told the entire thing that I told the setting and let Malacca also be a major part, um, another character essentially in the entire, us uh, in the entire story. Um, yeah, because again, it's it's not, you know, we we don't hear much about 16th century Malacca. We certainly don't see enough of it as well in our in our popular media as well. When it was actually a, a, a port city to be emulated and changed the way. Uh, the Nusantara uh, conducted itself even after Malacca fell. All of the mm-hmm. other port cities around in Indone- in modern Indonesia, all this kind of Sumatra, all that they all tried to emulate uh, Malacca essentially um, because it had mm. such good laws for that were fair for trading, the taxes, um, the use of of the Malay language as, as its lingua franca essentially, and all that kind of stuff. So it was, yeah, it was it was to be admired and I'm, I was just baffled that it isn't told more about um, essentially and so that needed to happen and I wanted people to get a big epic picture of how great this city was um, yeah yeah that's the part I actually loved the most about it you know you see a lot of these kinds of historical fictions in say medieval Europe or feudal Japan or ancient China and things like that you know but I've never seen it in such a specific context so close to home here, uh, in, in uh, Malacca, um, specifically here. Um, 
another question I wanted to ask, and this is minor spoilers here. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I won't reveal what spoiler is. Yeah. But like, how early on was the decision to make Venerita such an integral part of the story? Mm, yes, I have a follow up question to that. So let's go. Let's go. Oh, <laughs> um, I I definitely it it would it it came out of practicality, right? It came out mm. of I really needed. This is an audio medium, and I, I I can't I can't do this without the description and everything, and yeah I, I needed the the voice uh my voice essentially to be the clearest because that that is it was written entirely there was no I wasn't trying to put any characters there essentially uh eventually mm-hmm. the actor that played the the character um, I literally had to told them to go and and make it their own essentially because mm. yes because I wrote it so specifically to my voice. Um, yeah, but yeah, it was born out of practicality. I needed someone to be able to describe what was going on. Um, uh, but I didn't want it to be someone that wasn't connected to the story in any way, shape or form. You know, I, I didn't want I it see. to be just someone reading or someone that had, cut, uh, that had, it, it needed to be there for a reason. Uh, they needed mm-hmm. to be there for a reason. And mm. how do I explain this without? and and, um yeah and and i i really felt that there is absolutely no way i can answer this question further without uh reaching some sort of spoilers (laughs) yeah Yeah, so at this at at this point we're going to give our spoiler warning guys again uh spoiler warning for that just so we can open up the conversation a little bit uh mercenary and power one is available on spotify on google Podcasts, as well as apple uh, podcast as well. Uh, it has been out for um, since the thirty first of March. All six episodes are there in uh, is in entirety and glory. Please go check that out before you check out the rest of the podcast and spoil yourself. Uh, but if you're not concerned about that, the uh, end. You can continue. <laughs> We've given okay, a yeah, brilliant. Um, so what was different was that uh, the main difference was that it was originally a, a map. It was supposed mm. to be a man that was speaking. Um, mm. It was probably going to be me. Um, and the the decision I made to change it to a woman, which was a kind of half-baked attempt at some sort of um, move towards equality, essentially, because I realized that this production was a sausage fest and it was all guys and yes history is you know his story and all that stuff and i was trying to go like okay how do i make a more balanced uh storytelling uh <clears throat> instead of just eject I- injecting a a female character or completely changing uh someone to from from a traditionally in the in the history books a male character into a female character um and i didn't want it to be sort of like uh, tokenist in a sense or just just mm. for the sake of being there so it was actually i credit my father to uh, for giving me this idea so then why don't you just make the the narrator um a female and then i thought about already the connection between awang and the narrator and how awang becomes the narrator becomes the immortal mm. um uh, narrator essentially and i and then i had this whole thing okay well then i will just make awang someone who's trying to pretend to be their brother because they believed that to be strong they had to be male so they would pretend to to be a man a boy until uh and so that they can survive in this world essentially so then mm-hmm. 
that thread came pretty quickly as soon as i made that connection i was like okay so so it's going to be this young boy um mm. however how it came that this young boy had such a, a a a big role in its end in the end of the play um yep. really was kind of I can't describe it in any other way than like fate. <laughs> you know, it was just I it just suddenly presented itself to me that that um this this young boy should be should be Malacca, should be the thing that's left, should be the thing that they they trade for. And I again I talk about this in Beyond the I apologize, I do ramble a, a lot. Um but that's okay. But I'll keep going. <laughs> um um yeah, yeah. I, I explained this in Beyond the Blaine as well, but the, the moment where everything clicked for me, where everything, where I realized what this play was about, it wasn't just about two mm -hmm. people dueling, about contesting views, all this kind of stuff. Um, yep. uh, and I actually have a voice note of it on my phone in August. Eh? Was it August or October? October 2020, I was walking down the street and I realized, and I was like, I have to, I have to say all of this out loud to myself <laughs> on my phone as I'm crossing the road quite dangerously. Uh, and it was a discovery that actually everything is about trade. The idea of the entire play mm. was about a trade of something that is not uh, material. It's an immaterial trade. It's the trade of, of languages, of skills, of art, of ideas, concepts, beliefs. Um, basically mm. what the Musnara and the Palawan had been doing all along and what everybody else kind of could not do because of the the powers that be because of power essentially people wanting power people wanting um the material goods and so mm -hmm. i thought okay this is it this is it so in the end they have to make a final trade and that trade is is for the life of of the next generation essentially mm -hmm. so um yeah it was it was this happened a lot by the way this kind of like kismet thing this like i was going through research and i'd be like oh my god this this has to be in the play this makes sense <laughs> this can be here you know yeah yeah so yeah um i i thought you had a follow-up yes yeah, so right? i have a follow-up question on this and again guys we this is going to major spoiler territory right so okay. lian um at which point in time in the writing process did you decide that you wanted to introduce magic into this world oh <laughs> when when oh i don't even know if i can answer this question because if i think about the decision i made and when i made that decision mm -hmm. then it okay okay this is how i i can perceivably remember it essentially yeah it all started when i was reading the albuquerque's commentaries um and the albuquerque had mentioned this little side quest on his way to taking Malacca where he literally bumped into and it sounds just like that uh this mm -hmm. character this person called Nauda Begia and and the way it's spelled N-A-O-A-D-A-B-E-G-E-A -E -E and it's different uh, versions of it um that mm -hmm. I have a theory that it's his name is actually Begia and the Naoda part is Nakoda, which is captain. I, I have a theory that that's what it was, that they heard him call it. Anyway, that's a little trivia for all you history nerds out there. <laughs> um, but yeah. essentially this side quest, um, he catches up to this this uh, disgraced Laksamana, essentially, or this this person who had fallen out of favor with the with the Sultan and, and needing, you know, wanting to get favor back. He, he would... Um, 
he was on his way back to Malacca to warn, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and then it goes into this part, completely literal, no, you know, no. Uh, um, they all believed he believed what he was saying and seeing. Um, he could not kill this man. Um, every mm-hmm. stab wound, every cut, no blood would would expel from his body, and it was believed that he had a. Uh, uh, some sort of magic talisman with him. Um, and it was only when he took the talisman off that um, the man bled and died. So imagine my surprise uh, <laughs> as reading this because you expect this in your uh, in your kind of Eastern um, historical texts and stuff like that. The fantastical and the, the real are very much intertwined and they're, they're no difference from each other. Magic yeah. is real mm-hmm. and that is stated as a fact. But but in this book where everything else has been fairly kind of methodical and uh, <laughs> dare I say even a little bit uh, scientific, it suddenly mm-hmm. mentions this and then he and then he keeps the the bracelet right. Uh, De Albuquerque he keeps the bracelet to um, to to uh, eventually box up and and as a gift to to the king of Portugal. Of course, mm-hmm. that all gets lost in in a shipwreck, um, <laughs> uh, which is the shipwreck of of the Flor de la Mar, the Flower of the Seas, um, the, the the boat that he came on, um, at, amidst a lot of treasures and books and stuff that rightly belonged in this region and came from this region, which is very upsetting. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, so so as soon as I saw, as soon as I read that, I was like okay, I've got to find a way to put this into it. And then all my ideas came about, you know, like, why shouldn't there be magic in this world? Like magic exists, all right? Yeah. Everything mm-hmm. is magic and and, and, we should, and it should be there. Um, but I didn't want it to be like, oh, this huge thing. I got really worried after I got this idea and I started <laughs> writing it because then I went, oh God, is this going to be Awang and the magic bracelet? Is this the play I'm writing? Is, is it going to be that? It's a children's book, essentially. So um, so I kind of let it happen in sort of the, the background. Even as it happens, it's not. it doesn't play a pivotal role in anything other than it sets up the narrator to be able to uh, be talking mm. from modernity, uh, mm. and I, I, I hope that came through somehow. And we tr- we tried our best, but essentially, that 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 the narrator was was telling this story in in modern times, uh, got, trying to go back to Malacca hasn't been for five hundred years, and essentially um, can live forever, ha- has been living forever, and therefore is able to see everything in a different light. Um, yeah, so that that was kind of the the impetus um, for this kind of magic entering this 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 world. Um, Fascinating. I, yeah, I didn't I didn't add anything more than that. I didn't want it to be um, even more magical. You do we do we do uh, kind of like talk about it, kind of the magic of the Chris, the the power yeah. of mm-hmm. certain weapons, the the kind of internal uh, energy and and. Uh, powers that the Palawan has from his training and things like that, but it didn't. It didn't feature heavily. It wasn't like people were throwing fire at each other and stuff like that. Not yet, anyway. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's <laughs> how we get one. Yeah, um, I sort of have like a technical 
like, I guess more of a writing question because more most of the audio podcasts that I listen to, specifically the narrative ones, have been more intimate or dialogue-driven type of uh, stories. Mm. Um, besides uh, the historical scope of this story, which makes it unique, it's also predominantly an action or combat-centric story, um, which you know is you would think is a visual medium. Um, how challenging was it for you to translate the urgency and immediacy and viscerality of combat and action and fight scenes um, into words, into into an audio drama? Yeah, I'm. I I uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I um fully realized the 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 weight of essentially that question when I was doing it. Um, I, mm. I kind of always just imagined that the imagination of the people hearing it and the sound effects um, would build the world uh, in their minds just as it does in a book. Um, right. Uh, right. Except we, we can do sound effects and stuff like that, which, which a book can't, essentially. Mm. Um, and... And the fights were the probably the hardest. I mean, the the the, the simple thing is with with stage combat stuff, right? It's it's actually mm-hmm. you you've got to every fight has got to have a, a reason. There's got to be a reason why they are fighting, um, and mm. of course you don't uh, fight and speak at exactly the same time. That's one of the things. Otherwise, <laughs> it gets too messy, right? So yeah. so yeah. I had to find out a reason for each of the duels, and then mm. and then have the massive battle scene, which was a hot mess experiment essentially um of my <laughs> part um uh be the the main drive forward to 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 the portuguese coming essentially um but yeah so so each fight and actually it was it was the the conversations in between that i was trying to focus on more um, because mm-hmm. I knew that I couldn't have the fantastical kind of like uh, swashbuckling stuff. I could literally just have clang, 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 clang a few times. And then someone speaks, <laughs> clang, 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 someone speaks, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I I I think a lot of it was, was a, I, I, I hope that I, I, I'm, I gave a lot of trust to the people listening to kind of build up the fights in their mind. Uh, when I was working with the sound engineer, um, there were there were times when I was like, okay, this the 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 consistency or the the closeness of the clanging sounds for this fight doesn't doesn't sound right it goes too fast too quickly they start mm. kind of fighting very quickly you know uh where whereas then there's not nowhere to go later on after when they get to the second beat of the fight um mm, it, it, it just stays the same so there were moments like that where i had to work out with the sound engineer what was possible and how we could do it and thank goodness they were very intuitive that there wasn't really much that i needed to change uh what was the hardest i think was things that i could no longer change like the actors um uh, speed of their lines right that was the hardest thing because we shot we recorded everything in three days and out of the three days there were maybe two days that had everyone there and one day where we were left with very few people, the only thing we could do were incidental sounds. So we ended up like riding horses and making <laughs> and, and all these kind of shouts and grunts, which was endlessly fun, but terrifying yeah. for me because I was like, oh God, tomorrow we're going to have to shoot the entire second act in four hours. How are we going to do this? And stuff like that. So, um, and and trying to direct for the first time as well and then asking one thing that i felt very strongly 
when we were recording was that everything needed to be paced up. It needed there needed to be a lot it needed to be a lot pacier, especially once we get to Act Two. Um, mm-hmm. And the downtimes were very simple because the downtimes were just literally when it was the two of them and they were talking to each other and they were exposing their truths essentially. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean. I, I I honestly can tell you I have no idea if if it succeeded or not. I think it did. I felt like I I enjoyed listening to it, um, but there was a lot of 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 trust and and hope and and perhaps I dare say a little bit of naivete or ignorance <laughs> uh, to just go yeah this will maybe work <laughs> I think because <laughs> I have no reference either. I didn't go off and the one thing I didn't do and. I, I think I did it on purpose was not go and listen to a whole bunch of other uh, audio plays or audio productions um, mm. just so I could nosedive into it and fail epically or not. Um, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find audio productions or audio plays um, with this amount of combat and fight scenes because they're just so rare, I think. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a fight scene in at least one in every act or in, in every part of your act, two acts in the Messiah and the Pala one. And I found that astounding because I think it worked. I think I was immersed into it. I was amazed that I was able to intuit the geography and pace, who was winning, mm-hmm. who was losing, mm-hmm. etc. just from... You know, just from the various sounds and how and the the little that the narrator gave us. So, yeah, kudos on that. That was the one that that was the one thing I really wanted to ask you about. Like, how do you frame the combat scenes? Um, any last questions from you, Isa? Yeah, um, maybe just one more before we wrapped up. Lian, was there sure. ever a version of the story in your mind that did not have the two titular characters establish the friendship that they have? Hmm. Hmm. No. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think so. In fact, uh, it was it. Maybe, maybe they were. Maybe they were not so quick uh, to kind of form a bond. Um, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But they would always end up forming a bond in the end because there was one. There's one thing that I was very clear about from the start, and this had been you know, drilled into me since I was a kid. I can literally hear my father saying these words <laughs> as I go into the cinema to watch another Usia film or a new kind of uh, epic on, on, on Asian kind of martial culture and stuff like that, is that mm-hmm. the heroes always die. Doesn't matter if the bad guys die or not, that's irrelevant, but the heroes, they must die. And so, mm. so that was the main thing that I knew had to happen that the two mm-hmm. of them would die how they would die whether they would die fighting whatever they're supposed to fight whether they would die uh, killing each other was was something that was later on developed um but mm-hmm. I, I wanted there to be a friendship quite early on or or mm-hmm. build to a quite a big bond yeah. to make it all the more uh heart-wrenching and and frustrating because mm-hmm. our heroes always die Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully then that will I, I always thought that the reason why that is is so it it jolts us uh, into becoming our own heroes it jolts us to go like yeah but we can't rely on Superman Superman's dead how do we be Superman in our own mm-hmm. lives you know what I mean mm-hmm. so that was something that that um, had to come through and I felt like the only way that could come through is if the both of them kind of 
show two sides of the same coin um, mm. and recognize the fact that they were the same. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's fantastic. I mean, I, I particularly enjoyed the final fight because of, like you mentioned, the stakes in it and the personal stakes in it, the friendship between the two. Mm. Um, you know, they died fighting, but fighting for friendship, it's bizarre, but I loved it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so much about this um, gripped me for the four hours, four odd hours-ish that I was listening to it. And I urge you all to do the same. Um, as you mentioned, right, it was on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, all the usual podcast things yep. that you find audio dramas on. Just search for the Mercenario and the Palawan. Um, you have a Patreon as well, right? Yeah, we do. We have some amazing merchandise, um, all designed. <laughs> we've got bookmarks. We've got uh, posters. Uh, we've got behind-the-scenes interviews. You can download the entire um uh, audio epic uh, on your own device if you wanted to and we also have mm. a historical reader like a 60 page book <laughs> of all of my research essentially so if you yep. if you listen to it and you're kind of nerding out about the his history and stuff and the characters and you're wondering it was this real was it not you can get that because mm -hmm. it's all written inside um in this rather dry historical reader <laughs> um, but nonetheless very interesting uh, if you're into it, yeah, 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 you know, at the end of all fantasy books, there's the there's the, like a hundred pages of indexes yeah. right at the back, yeah. Yeah. And, and and this is it, and and oftentimes the indexes are sometimes my favorite bits of the book because it's so much of the world, mm -hmm. um, and in this particular case, the world just happens to be real, mm -hmm. um, which makes it so much better. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to what you do next, Leon, um, particularly if you want to do a sequel or a prequel to this. Oh, yeah. You know? mm -hmm. I'll be so down for that. I mean, I, I particularly enjoyed the father-son relationship between the Mercenario and, um, what was his name? The Albuquerque? The Albuquerque? How do I, yeah, do I say Albuquerque. it right? Yeah, Albuquerque. Yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. there's, there's uh, the, the English way of saying it and then there's the Portuguese way of saying it, which is impossible. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. While we're on that, do you want to tease like any kind of future upcoming project? What's next up mm. for you? What's yeah. up for uh, I mean, Nusantara? Oh, there's a there's a lot of stuff that that I want to do. Um, there are stories that I want to write, and I I have plans to make this into a, a trilogy essentially. Um, mm. Whether or not it will stay in this medium is something that perhaps I do not want. So it might become mm. a stage production into something else, a different story, or it might become uh, an exhibition or a painting or a graphic novel or or an album. Um, but either way, I want to keep this world um, building. Um, and keep the magic going, essentially, because I think it's uh, it's an important story, and there's a lot there to tell. So, yeah, look, you know, check it out, New Santara. We're gonna do things. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, uh, you guys are on the usual socials, right? Yeah. Um, Facebook, Facebook, Insta, and Instagram. All yes, the only thing we're probably not on is TikTok um, yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, maybe Akandatan, <laughs> maybe. I mean, that will be interesting too. TikToks are made for, you know, short physical things. Right. And you guys are, yeah, you guys are, you know, a combat theatrical company. So why not? That's true. That's true. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I would sign up for TikTok for that. Okay. You heard it. Oh, I'll, keep that, I'll keep that in mind. I'm going to start <laughs> drafting some things I can do on TikTok. <laughs> All right. Um, thanks so much, Leon, for joining Thank us. You. Uh, any, any last words, Isa? Uh, no, uh, but Lian, like, uh, you usually open and close every episode for that. Maybe you want to close up this segment for us. 
uh, with your okay. usual ritualistic closing. Yes. Sure. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. I'd like to uh, take this moment for all of us to give respect to the voices and the people uh, who uh, were and um, were not, um, who are and are not, um, who will and will not. In the name of the creative force that is the I within, may the strength of our spirit and spirit of our practice make this a sacred space of safety, power, and peace. Thank you, everyone. Mm. Thanks, Lian. Wonderful. Thanks, Lian. No worries. <laughs> and that was our good friend, Lian Sutton, the creator, writer, director, star of the historical audio drama, the Mercenario and the Palawan. Um, if you're interested in listening to that podcast, mm-hmm. uh, that narrative podcast, uh, we've provided the links uh, down below to to listen to the episodes. Or if you want, you could also support Lian Sutton and crew via his Patreon page, which we we'll also, also find a link in the description below. Yeah. Um, and now we are back with Isa Fong. You know, say hi to I say hi Isa. Hi. Yep. Um, and. <laughs> Continuing the theme of narrative podcasts, um, of fictional audio dramas, um, we're now going to briefly talk about some of our favorite narrative podcasts out there, particularly one that I've been following for a very long time. <laughs> um, my dad wrote a porno alongside Welcome to Night Vale, which is more in line with our sci-fi fantasy mm-hmm. leadings over in genre equality. Yeah. Uh, but let's begin with My Dad Wrote, wrote a Porno, uh, which is... Man, uh, how how do you how would you describe my dad wrote a porno? I'm I'm going to try. Oh um, man, I I would the, say it's a it's an audio book with critique built into it. <laughs> my dad wrote a porno, as its title is you know aptly uh, <laughs> describes, is a podcast where a TV writer by the name of Jamie Morton reads and reviews an erotic novel that his father penned under the pseudonym Rocky Flintstone. Yes. Um, each episode focuses on a single chapter of said novel. Um, it's now a series of novels as the show has gone on. And Morton hosts the podcast with two of his friends, namely uh, B- James Cooper and uh, BBC Radio 1's uh, Alice Levine. The format sees Morton typically reading the chapter beforehand while Cooper and Levine will be hearing it for the first time live <laughs> during the podcast. Uh, when when Morton reads it aloud, and the three of them then review and dissect the chapter in the erotic novel from the series entitled Belinda Blinked, all of which was of course written, and again I can stress this enough, by Morton's father. Um, if you are curious about Belinda Blinked, um, <laughs> it was and is still a real erotic novel, yes. published and all which uh, luckily for My Dad Wrote a Porno grew into a series of novels providing endless amounts of content for this podcast. And Jamie Morton started recording this, uh, this podcast after his dad, famously, as he's told the story many times, <laughs> put, put him aside at a holiday dinner to share a few chapters from a book he had been writing. Um, he had been writing, as I said, under the name Rocky Flintstone, and he had been writing it in his shed because his wife, Morton's mom, would not allow it in the house. Yeah. After a quick read-through, um, <laughs> Morton realizes that his dad was in, fi- uh, in fact writing a porno. Um, it all sounds made up, but it's not. All of this makes for a hilarious format, and 
equally hilarious material. And a lot of the funniest parts uh, in this podcast wouldn't strike the same chord if you weren't aware that, again, Morton's father wrote this. And as with a lot of successful comedic podcasts, the content is hilarious, but the theme and the format are two which is make, which makes it great as well because you know um I think Levine and Cooper uh their incredulity um towards <laughs> what is being written um adds a lot to the dynamics of the podcast. So if you're looking for a new comedy podcast to check check out, I definitely re- recommend My Dad Wrote a Porno. This was recommended to me about I'm gonna say six seven years ago by our friend uh Raihan. Um, shout out if you're listening. Um, and I'm still listening it uh, listening it th- today. Um, in fact. It's become so successful that they've taken the, the show live. They've they've gone on live tours to read out exclusive chapters in uh in stadiums. They're, they've been selling out stadiums. They have a HBO special out there, a comedy special. Um, so it's become way more than a podcast these days. Yeah. Um, what about you, um, Isa? Like, how were you introduced to my dad wrote a porno? Um, how far have you gotten into it? And what do you think about it? Yeah, I I remember a couple of conversations. Uh, where Raihan was telling you about that, or the two of you were just kind of discussing the newest episode that came out. Uh, mm. Until review, for review mm. this time around, right? I actually had never dipped my toes into it. That being mm. said, I spent the better part of two and a half weeks just binging this. Nice, nice. Uh, Are you on um, season two, three? I am. I'm about to finish season two. Uh, nice, okay. Moment, right. Uh, but yeah, you know, there are moments in time because at home when I'm like, just doing whatever, right? I'll, I'll put it on and all of that. It's a little hard to listen to uh, mm-hmm. with family at home. Uh, of so course, you've got to have um, headphones on. Yeah, yeah you've got to have your headphones on. Please, guys, wear your yeah. headphones. Um, yeah. Uh, but otherwise, I've been, I've been uh, listening to it mostly on transit. And there are moments in time where I think my, my palpable reactions to that is visible to my fellow commuters. Uh, yeah. Just in terms of like wanting to burst out in laughter or like being just being aghast at the things that are being written. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's made for made for its own fair bit of comedy. The listening experience has been uh, made for its own comedy, uh, mm-hmm. but I've thoroughly enjoyed it uh, because it is so absurd and so funny, and it feels like totally natural and emergent from the reaction of, of the cast just responding to that. Mm. Oh, but man, like. What a ride. It is It is really, really just quite something. Yes, yes, absolutely. If you're wondering what a typical episode um, sounds like, it is... Um, okay, here's the plot of, of Belinda Blinked. Um, plot is very a, a loose term for what happens in Belinda Blinked because it is not just a porno. It is also a deep dive into a company that makes pots and pans, um, there is a whole subplot about um, <laughs> English royalty that comes in later on. Yeah. Uh, Belinda Bling goes on a globe-trotting <clears throat> adventure as a spy for MI6 uh, later on. So um, it, it's more than just a porno. But in, in the bare-bones plot is it follows uh, Belinda, Belinda Blumenthal, yeah. who is the new international sales director for a company called Steel Spots and Pans. Um, Belinda has a certain way that she goes about pleasing her clients and making sales and that way is inevitably sex and the the, the sex isn't necessarily the titillating part oh, of the uh, <laughs> of the book because um the sex is so bizarrely written and in fact it is the amateur writing style of rocky flintstone and his uncomfortable depictions of human anatomy um 
uncomfortable is not the right word. Inaccurate is the word yeah. of uh, depictions of human anatomy. <laughs> um, the, uh, and random like detours into chit chat involving sales uh, strategy and jargon. Yeah. Um, that seems so out of place in a porno that that makes Belinda blink a story unlike any other. And Morton usually can't read more than one or two sentences in a row before at least one of the trio either laughs, cringes, <laughs> or asks a perfect, perfectly legitimate question about the descriptions of anatomy, like um, how can breasts be pomegranates, or <laughs> what part of the body can be compared to rivets on the Titanic. Yeah. Um, who is the youngish man? The the novella itself is short, and so are the chapters. So yeah. analyzing just what the hell is going on in the plot, if we assume there is a plot, makes up much of much of the conversation. Um, there are also tons of really, really great footnotes episodes uh, in which the gang discusses things outside of the book itself, including Rocky Flintstone's biography, yeah. who would star in the actual movie. Um, lots of um big um actors have come on. Uh, to describe themselves as fans of the show, su- such as Michael Michael Sheen, um, and and so on, who who are such big fans that they they are calling who they want to play in the eventual Belinda <laughs> Blinks, uh movie. You know, um, do you, do you ever listen to the to the footnotes? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I think like I I live for the fact that they came on board. Uh, Elijah Wood was really funny. Uh, with just, Elijah Wood, yeah, yeah. Uh, with all of that, uh, I don't think. Uh, let me see. I think the last one that I heard was Daisy Ridley. Oh, is he really? Yeah, yeah from Star of Star Wars fame, Star if Wars you remember. Fame. It, yeah. it it is yeah. insane how much of a phenomenon this has become, mm. uh, and and it's kind of like mind blowing. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, Lin Manuel Miranda was on. He suggested that he make the the musical Broadway version of uh, My Dad Wrote a Porno, I, which I would totally I, see. Yeah, I would totally watch that for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have like um favorite episodes? It's a bit tough, but my favorite episodes um inevitably are the Christmas specials uh, that, that happen at the end of the year because mm-hmm. they are almost um OVA OVAs, yeah. if you can describe it as such. You know, they take place at a certain point in between books and often feature either a Christmas party or a Christmas getaway that uh devolves into sex and or spy craft uh, sometimes. <laughs> uh yeah, so much of it is difficult to to Describe because so much of it is absurd. You know, there are bombs, there are gangsters, there's trips to Amsterdam and Germany, um, including the the book's overarching villain. They have an overarching villain, mind you. Yeah. Um, there are some chapters that just feature no sex at all. Um, and just features uh Belinda Blink saving the world via steel spots and pants. Um, yeah. Um, it's great. Uh, so much of it is bizarre. Um, if you know anything about human anatomy, you would probably <laughs> be questioning the physics of, of some of the things that happens, but don't question it and yeah. just go along with the yeah. ride. You know, it's very funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do like the fact that James and Alice like take the um they they are our uh Stand-ins, right? They're they're st- they're the stand-ins for the audience itself, right? And and mm-hmm. uh, voicing just their I don't know, their disbelief, their discomfort sometimes. Uh, mm-hmm. on our behalf and interjecting with the most hilarious kind of like protests or questions um, that I think as any of you who are going to be listening to it will also have on your mind so that helps like a great deal um, mm. but I love the fact that you know three friends sitting around a kitchen table um, decided that they wanted to record 
um, one of their friends reading their dad's erotic fiction to me yeah like how popular this has become how funny it's become how much it has grown from just a very simple bizarre circumstance mm-hmm. is is kind of mind-blowing uh, I mean my favorite parts of the episode sometimes don't even involve what is being written but rather some of the comments by the host yes. and or Jamie Morton putting on um, accents for the various characters <laughs> um, Morton is not a trained actor um, I mean there's this whole inside joke that's going on because Morton used to be a theater actor for uh, you know like really fringe festivals and stuff like that yeah. um, to which his co-hosts like to make fun of him um, so he has some acting training but his 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 accents are admittedly <laughs> as ridiculous as some of the um, as, as some of the pros um, shall we say you know uh, yeah um, this is something that you can jump right in you, yeah. you gotta you gotta binge it um, it is surprisingly plot driven to be honest so the year long breaks between each season sometimes makes me get lost um, so this is something that benefits from binge listening um you would not uh, assume a porno will be very plot driven but Belinda Blitz is very plot driven mm. there are like interweaving plots that seem to make sense but they do in the end yeah and i am sometimes like at has or uh, <laughs> impressed even by by the writing of Rocky Flintstone um, yeah. in terms of his like long term plotting um, yeah um, any last thoughts on My Dad Wrote a Porno before we move on to Welcome to Night Vale yeah uh, if you are new to My Dad Wrote a Porno and you're just hopping in I'm gonna say that like just enjoy the ride uh, yeah. if you are used to uh, if you're just used to better, better like audio fiction in general like give it a chance mm. it will grow on you certainly uh, season yep. one uh, noticeably doesn't have some of the things that we've mentioned like the plot mm-hmm. isn't isn't very open it's it's a it's a brief introduction into the world of Belinda Blink uh, yeah, actually. Yeah. so please give it a chance things do pick up things do become even more hilarious and astounding and incredible from there on yep. end so yeah enjoy uh, I hope you guys uh, check it out Definitely. Um, next, we're moving on to another long-running audio drama, um, the the unique Welcome to Night Vale. It's a podcast that has taken the world, um, or at least the iTunes store, um, by storm. Oh, yeah. Um, the community radio broadcast from a fictional desert burg is as thoroughly strange as it is addictive, yet it's easy to tease out its influences. Um, imagine if every Twilight Zone episode was set in the same city. And Night Vale is that city's radio news, mm-hmm. you know. Um, imagine if there was, you were listening to some sort of news broadcast from Twin Peaks. You know? Yeah. It's, it's something like that. In either case, homespun weirdness is the goal of the podcast. And a big part of the fun comes from a huge variety of paranormal and supernatural experiences it features. Um, there are aliens and secret government conspiracies. Um, surely the creators were fans of the X-Files when they were kids. Oh, yeah. But... There are also, you know, random things like angels living in an old woman's house on the edge of town, mysterious hooded figures haunting a dog park. There is an underground city hidden beneath mm-hmm. uh, the, the pin retrieval area of Lane 5 at <laughs> the local bowling alley. And there's a cat suspended forever in space above the sink in the station bathroom. Simply put, the canny and uncanny mix mingle so closely in Night Vale that the line between them um, just eventually disappears, you know, and... Uh, creators uh, Fink and Cranor uh, play this mingling 
of the mundane and the mystical for laughs as often as they do for chills. And their neck for comedy, I think, saves the podcast from feeling too cumbersome or self-serious, like a lot of um, supernatural or horror podcasts do. And to the credit, Night Vale creators never forget that science fiction and camp kind of kind of intertwine, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, um, yeah. Uh, but to focus on the pop, well, on the, on the pop culture roots of the podcast or its tantalizing play with the genre is to miss its almost literary qualities. Mm. Um, Fink and Cranor kind of admit to being scrupulous editors of each of the hundred or so um, episode scripts, you know, passing um, back and forth many times during marathon um, editing sessions. And the voice of Night Vale, Cecile, uh, played by Cecile Baldwin, uh, pronounces each word with such care, such focus, that one can't help notice how hard the writers are just trying to find you know, um, poetry and prose from the story that they're trying to that they're trying to tell. Oh yeah. Um, this is really, really great stuff. It is uh one of the best produced audio podcasts out there, and it doesn't uh tie itself to a particular genre per mm-hmm. se. Mm-hmm. Um, it is supernatural and sci-fi and fantasy and all that, but there's a there's a weird mix of everything, so there is no. Uh, homogeneity to the tone. Yeah. Um, and some of the episodes and a lot of them can be listened to standalone, so that helps as well. Um, what did you think about uh, Welcome to Nightville? Well, I've been listening to Welcome to Nightville on and off for a number of years. Uh, this was introduced to me by our the dear friend of the channel, Christopher Falk, who we've had mm. a number of times, uh, and it's one of his favorite podcasts. Um, and uh, when he introduced it to me, I was a bit like, okay, this is kind of strange. I think like in the first couple of episodes that I was listening to, I was like, this is odd, right? Like, it, there, I don't think at the point in time when Welcome to Night Vale came out, we had anything of similar format um, come mm. out in the podcast space. Um, so I was intrigued to say the least. Uh, and it definitely grew on me over time just because um, the world in which uh, the world of Night Vale itself, right, begins to grow and it begins to grow significantly. And I think um, the creators spend a lot of time making sure that there are these threads that if you pay attention, you could probably, mm. uh, you could follow, right, as as um, yeah. the episodes kind of go by. So while it has this almost, uh, I don't know if episodic is the right word necessarily, Mm. Uh, while it does feel kind of like loose and um, uh, I will recommend you listen to it in chronological order just because mm. like you can tell um, you know sometimes it's about the fault cloud uh, sometimes it's about the scouts and all of that like these little little things begin to dawn and grow on you and for mm. a large amount of time Welcome to Night Vale became the thing that I put on while I was doing kind of like busy work right uh, yeah. much like an actual radio show playing in the background this was what it is for me and every once in a while something would catch my attention or one of the mm. threads would have been pulled uh, that that I was had particular interest in and every mm. time they build on that it just, the world just becomes that much more rich and that much more fascinating as they kind of fill out this world in an almost I don't know casual I guess a matter of fact manner but it is mm. often bizarre and absurd and disconcerting in the way that good sci-fi and all horror uh, does. Mm. Um, and it's all of those things. And it's a very easy thing to kind of like get into. But once you're in it, right, it becomes this vast world of yep. strangeness that is scintillating in, in so many ways. Yes, yes, definitely, man. Um, I ha- I'm probably not as deep into the podcast as you have been. I've only been listening to it like you have with my dad Ropon over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but I've been enjoying myself greatly and there's a wealth uh, to get into here because the podcast is running for seven, eight years now. Um, yep. 
it's 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 similar to uh it's similar to my dad Rodpono has also been running for a similar amount of time. So if you want to binge it right now, if you're unfamiliar with 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 these podcasts, uh, take your time, man. Because yeah. I for one am am a bit kind of sick of the <laughs> true crime genre dominating the podcast arena. Yeah. Um, and I like seeing stuff like the Mercenario and the Palawan and My Dad Rodpono and Welcome to Nightville among others that. Kind of feature original stories, you know. Yeah. Um. Of course, you know, my dad Rapunzel is not necessarily an audio drama, although it does feature an it is it does feature a narrative, but it's yeah. not an audio drama per se. Mm-hmm. Uh. But I like hearing original stories and the return of, um, old school radio dramas. You know, um, it was a genre that, of course, I think most of the people in our generation and the next generation aren't too familiar with because we didn't grow up in the era of radio dramas. Yeah. Uh, but I did grow up listening to horror stories on the radio, like Mystery Jungle Blast and things like that. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. um, and they're always fun. Um, and you can do a lot of stuff while while listening to this podcast. As Isa has just mentioned, you can do your laundry, yeah. you could do your ironing, you could be taking a walk, you could be having a jog. You know, it's not um, the kind of uh, it doesn't require the kind of focus that a TV show or a movie that uh, or a book requires, right? Yeah, exactly, right. And I mean, it's it's very soothing. Like Cecil's voice is amazing, right? Mm-hmm. And his diction is like close to perfect. Um, that yeah. and the amazing kind of like sound design slash music that, uh, mm. that they have constantly going on in the background. Or one of my favorite segments, of course, being the the weather report, which features like you know just a song from an artist. <laughs> Um, yep. I I found so many like amazing kind of like songs and artists just from that segment alone. Um, mm. you know it it is uh again it is like a huge kind of world to kind of dive into and please do take your yep. time with that. Um, helpfully enough, if you are listening on Spotify, for example, uh, they do have like a short trailer that explains to you about the name of uh, the world of Night Vale, where to begin, mm. what are the things that you could find if you're interested in uh you know, catching recordings of their live shows that they, they do put online as well, uh, or reading any of the novels that they've written. I think it's like three or four novels at this point in time. Uh, all yeah. of that they make available to you to to find and it's all linked there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite insane that uh, stuff like Welcome to Nightville and My Dad Rope On have spun off from their from their audio roots to yeah. become audiovisual things. And, you know, their comedy specials, their novels, their actual books out there based on both these podcasts, you know. Uh, Great stuff here. Uh, those are also those are the two that we're going to talk in depth about. But um, what are some of the other podcasts that you think you would like to give an honorable shout to, or an honorable mention uh, that you would like um, some of our listeners to check out? As oh, well? cool! I mean, like since we've already mentioned Chris, along, um, of course, Chris's uh, um, uh, horror fiction. Um, yes. Stuff that is on genre equality channel, Asian nightmares. Mm. Uh, I do know we'll have a couple of more interesting things coming up this year, so stay tuned for that. Uh, yeah. As well, and uh, hmm, what else? Uh, what are the couple of ones that you've been checking out recently? Um, recently I haven't really gotten into a narrative podcast. Not recently. Um, I've been too busy for that with you know work and other stuff. Yeah. Uh, but you know over the course of my life, um, there is a podcast called Lime Town which I've really enjoyed. Um, it's sort of a fictional version of Serial. Yeah. Uh, if Serial took place in the X Files world, you know, there's a there's um there's a lot of sci-fi and mystery to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Homecoming is what probably one of the best podcast out there in, in this particular form. It features a star-studded cast of characters, including you know, Oscar Isaac, 
Catherine Keener, David Cross. Um, it is a psychological thriller, unlike anything else that you've probably uh, listened to. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have already binged it, you can also check out the show based on the podcast currently streaming on Amazon Prime. It stars Julia Roberts in the lead role. Mm. Um, yeah, um, those are the things that uh, I wanted to point out. You know, yeah. um, Anything else before we, we delve into recommendations? Yeah, for, for me, I mean... Um... I've been listening to a lot of actual play D and D podcasts uh, mm. on on various podcasting channels. The ones that I've been enjoying the most at the moment uh, is a Nadpod, which is not another D and D podcast, which is run by Brian Murphy um, as the Dungeon Master and features a cast uh, mostly of uh, uh, college humor guys yep. who are on there. So I've been following that for a fair bit of time now. Um, after discovering that they were doing that from Dimension Twenty, which we've covered before on a different behold as well mm. uh the most kind of recent one that i kind of started is called dungeons and daddies uh where it's another dungeons and dragons game and the premise is super simple where a bunch of like stay-at-home dads uh have to go rescue their kidnapped kids and it's an amazingly funny dungeons and dragons game uh yes. that is is kind of all over the place but is so so fun to kind of keep up with uh and i think those are the main two that i've been binging mostly uh since the start of the year Awesome. Okay. Um, to cap off this episode, we'll talk a little bit about some of the stuff that have been catching our eyes and ears. Um, since we've already talked about podcasts, let's go back to the realm of TV and films. And I have um, a couple of recommendations for you guys this May. Nice. Um, I'm probably going to be skipping the stuff that we'll be talking about in the upcoming episode of Genre Equality. So a lot of non-genre wrecks here. Um, you know, stuff like Undone and all, I'll, I'll rave about it later on. Uh, but first up is something that is not necessarily recommend unless you're already a friend, a fan of the series. Uh, Downton Abbey, the movie, uh, part two is out right now. It's called Downton Ooh. Abbey, A New Era. Um, not pretending that it's high art or it's, you know, super compelling or whatever, but... Downton Abbey, A New Era is like the show. It's like a comforting cup of tea, um, cup of warm tea. <laughs> yeah. um, it's not high art, but it made me laugh. It made me cry. If you're invested in the show, you'll be invested in the film, particularly uh, because they are entering the 1930s now. So some of the older characters that you may know from the show may be passing or are about to pass. Um, next up, this is a real recommend. This is a documentary out on the projector right now. It's called Roadrunner. Mm. And it focuses on the life and times of celebrity chef slash journalist uh, Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. Um, it interviews his family and friends. Um, and not, not to say that it tries to unpack what happened in the lead up to his death, but it tries to unpack the restless soul behind the celebrity chef that we know. Um, you know, you get an intimate look at his pot- at, at, at a portrait of a very restless man. Um, and his uh and it's kind of a what's and all kind mm-hmm. of look, you know. It's yeah. not it's not just a celebration of Anthony Bourdain, but also about some of his flaws and foibles too. Um it really paints him as more of a human being. And I think that's how Bourdain would, would like people to remember him. You know, he was um I, I don't I don't know. He he was he was important to me. I've watched all his shows, yeah. uh, parts unknown, no reservations and all that. Um have you have you seen Roadrunner? I have not, but it is uh, very high on my to-do list. I was a big fan of Anthony Bourdain. His passing yep. uh, yeah. affected me a fair bit. Um, yeah, so I'm definitely going to be checking that out sometime soon. Definitely. Um, also, on the TV side, uh, I'm going to recommend uh, We Own This City from mm. uh, the, the greatest uh, TV author of all time. Uh, David Simon is back. You know, He spent the past decade um, 
outside of Baltimore, he's done shows in Iraq uh, about the Iraq War um, in Generation Kill. Yep. He's done a show in New Orleans uh, about post-Katrina musicians trying to make it uh, called Shami. He's even done um, an art history sci-fi type of thing called The Plot Against America, which me and Hardy reviewed last year on, on genre equality. Uh, but now, after 10, the 12, after 13 years away from Baltimore, <laughs> Um, he has returned to the area that has made him famous. Of course, he, he first wrote a book called Homicide, Life on the Killing Streets, which was adapted into a show called Homicide, Life on the Streets, about Baltimore homicide detectives. And then he made The Corner, which was a, a, a mini-series about a, a black family living in poverty amidst the open-air drug markets of West Baltimore. And then, of course, his magnum opus was The Wire, which we ourselves have reviewed on this uh, podcast, mm-hmm. if you want to listen to it. Uh, he is back to tackle Baltimore police corruption in We Own the City. Um, shockingly, the stuff that happens in We Own the City is not fiction like The Wire is. The Wire is barely fiction, but this one is straight non-fiction. It's almost a docudrama about a particular scandal that rocked Baltimore post-Freddie Gray yeah. involving the Gun Trace Task Force. Um, if you have seen the show The Shield, these are like the real life versions of that, you know. Um, we'll talk more about this uh, a few episodes from now when we talk about some of the best TV uh, of 2022 so far. Mm-hmm. Um, returning and stuff that we've already talked about last year, uh, Girls Wife Ever, the hilarious, hilarious girl band sitcom about a late 90s C list girl band. Um, an Atomic Kitten type thing um, <laughs> is back. Uh, right now, its first three episodes are out. It remains just as funny as it was last year. Uh, speaking of just as funny, uh, Hacks is back uh, starring the great Jean Smart about um, an aging comedian and her entitled millennial writer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's back for season two. Uh, Deborah Vance is now out on the road taking her new uh, material uh, to test it out in front of new audiences. Um, it goes disastrously. Um, especially when um, Ava's email from last season's finale uh, pops up again uh, and it destroys the friendship that they've built uh, over season one. Um, Hex season two is, I think, a bit more emotionally richer than season one even. Um, it, is less, it is less funny, but it's more dramatically compelling. Um, so yeah, those are the recommendations for this month. What about you? Do you have any? Yes, I'm going to dive in into uh, a couple of anime I've been watching. Uh, of course, we'll cover it more in depth for my yep. anime corner a couple of episodes mm. from now. Uh, but yeah, just shout out to two main ones. If you guys are not on the Spy Family train, please go and jump on that. Uh, mm. One of my favorite mangas that has been going on for, for, well, for a while now. And I've been waiting for this uh, adaptation since it came out. Uh, it is available on Netflix if you're in Singapore and I believe in most places. Um, yep. and we are uh, we are kind of like into the second arc at the moment and it's hilariously funny um, mm. the art is so great and the music is great as well mm. um, yeah uh, in addition to that something that I I don't know if Hits has watched yet but I've been turning all my friends into is probably the most underrated and underwatched thing this season it's called mm. Ya Boy Coming and the premise mm-hmm. itself if it doesn't stir you you should just check it out anyway because it's one it's really really well written uh, basically mm. Tukaleang from uh, Romance of the Three Kingdoms gets transported reverse isekai I think is the yep. correct term into modern day yep. Japan uh, mm-hmm. where he is slave, uh, saved slash meets a uh, uh, idol wannabe 
uh, a pop idol yep. wannabe. And uh, in the course of being both enraptured by her talent and her voice and being intrigued at this new world that he finds himself in, uh, he mm. decides to use his legendary tactical genius in conquering the pop mm. idol world. Uh, mm. It is, I think we're halfway through the season at the moment and I've been enjoying yep. every moment of it. Uh, if you are familiar with Romance of the Three Kingdoms, like, well, I'm not familiar with it, but I was forced to read it as a kid. Um, mm. it, just the way they kind of weave some of that stuff into the story is hilariously funny. Um, so that's an added bonus for any of you Romance of the Three Kingdom fans out there. Uh, but nice. I think this more people need to watch this because it's very, very good. Um, and the most underrated and underwatched anime this season. Yes, definitely. Uh, one final recommendation before we cap it off. Uh, Top Gun 2, uh, subtitled Top Gun Maverick, mm-hmm. uh, is coming to theatres in two weeks' time. It is, in my opinion, a perfect blockbuster. Um, and this is going to sound ridiculous until you see it. I think it's going to be nominated for an Oscar next year. Oh, it is that good. shit. Really? It is getting good. It is Terminator 2 levels good. It is a return to old school blockbuster cinema. You know, oh, wow. That, that, that era when stuff like T2 or Alien or a lot of the rings could be nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. This is, this is that. Oh, this is that. If, if, you're, if you're a little sick of superheroes dominating your cineplexes um, and you want to you wanna kind of a return to the good old days of the 90s uh, where, you know, Top, top, um, Tom Cruise does ridiculous things. Uh, <laughs> top Gun 2 is it. Um, and it has a lot of emotional heft. Uh, top Gun 1, um, I really, really love that film. It's not great. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just not. Um, yeah. But Top Gun 2 is. Um, and this surprised me more than anything. So yeah, go check out Top Gun 2 um, in a couple of weeks' time. Amazing. Yeah, uh, that wraps it up for this episode of uh, Behold 49. We'll be back for Genre Equality 54? Um, yes. <laughs> what are you looking forward to talking to about uh, on Genre Quality 54? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, we the big kind of news that we're going to be talking about is definitely not going to be Doctor Strange and Moon Knight. Um, mm. Yeah, I would definitely want to kind of do like a deep dive into that. I think like uh, Multiverse of Madness, we are reaching an important kind of keystone in the MCU's timeline, uh, just kind of yep. moving forward with the story. And I would love to kind of dive into that, how we found the movie, etc., etc. Uh, mm-hmm. Moon Knight has been has been interesting, I, I think. Uh, I would ha- definitely have loved to see more, but as we know, Oscar Isaac isn't keen on coming back, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think those are the two kind of like big things that uh, that I am keen on on just discussing. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, Stranger Things is back for its fourth and final season. Yep. Just a couple of days before we record the podcast, so it'll be fresh on our minds. Mm-hmm. Love, Death, and Robots is back next week yeah. uh, for its uh, third uh, season. I wasn't too impressed with season two. Let's see if season three um, manages to recover some form. I know David Fincher is making his animation debut in oh. season three, so I'm looking forward to that. You know, he got no time for Mindhunter, but he got time <laughs> for Love, Death, and Robots. Yes. Um, I, I, me and Hadi will be talking about season two of Undone, which was almost a ten. Again, it's oh, it's spoiler, so spoiler alert. It's it's close to a ten, but um, uh, an almost perfect season. Um, and again, prove me wrong because I thought they should have done season two, but mm-hmm. season two ended up being quite great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna be watching a this new anime coming out on Netflix uh next week called Vampire in the Garden. Yeah. So I hope to talk about that as well. Yeah. Uh, J.K. Simmons um is back in the sci-fi realm after Counterpart. Um, he is starring in an Amazon show called Night Sky. Um, I have no idea what it's about, but it's J.K. Simmons. Um, I don't. I, I. I don't think he picks bad roles. Like, no, he just doesn't. Yeah. You know? 
Um, like he likes he, he has a good eye for a good script, and I think Night Sky might be really good. Um, plus I'll be talking about the Time Traveler's Wife. Um, if you remember the book from uh, Audrey Nefenegger in. 2003, um, and a really ill-fated Rachel McAdams movie in 2009. This show is an adaptation of the book, trying to fix what went wrong with the film. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you, it is worse than the film, but I'll, I'll delve into that Ooh. later on. Um, Hadi is going to shit on Star Trek Picard, and I'll be revisiting <laughs> uh, Rosemary's Baby um, as well um, for this upcoming episode. Um, yeah, we're going to be shitting on Star Trek Picard, but we are currently watching Star Trek Strange New Worlds right now. Yeah. Uh, man, easily the best Star Trek show in like 20 years. So it's, I've heard. Mm-hmm. Strange New Worlds is just a return to classic Trek. Episodes of the week, new planets, talking about, you know, anthropology. It's fantastic, yeah. So we'll delve into all that. Oh, and how do you be shitting on uh, Halo as well? Um, <laughs> yeah. Till then, guys, this has been Hitzer. I'm Isa. Goodbye. Ciao.